That's a physiological sign. Your implants are impacting your physiology. Does that mean that when you remove them, your BII is going to go away? No. It just means I now know of an environmental, an internal environmental impact. For a fact, this is happening. You're listening to Eat for Life, the show that aims to help you identify the root causes of what ails you so you can heal and live the life you are meant for. I'm your host, Sammy G. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us for part two of my conversation with Danielle Valoris about breast implant illness. As I shared in part one, if you have breast implants and are experiencing symptoms, please know you are not crazy. I believe each of us is gifted with an incredible amount of discernment, especially with our own bodies. I also think that as women, we've been conditioned to not speak up, to feel as though we are a bother if we do. I've personally struggled with this, and I'm sure you have too. If you sense, even in the slightest, that your medical provider is not listening to you, then I encourage you to find someone else that will listen to your concerns and provide a safe space to figure out the best healing approach for you. Here's the rest of my conversation with Danielle. We're talking about how breast implants impact the immune system, of course, the body as a whole, but with regard to the immune system and the attacks that happen, there is, like you said, there's the shell, which is silicone, and then that, you know, that cross-linking leaves gaps and uh, platinum, you know, to bind them together. And can you kind of walk us through how they impact the body and the immune system? I can give you my theories and hypothesis from real world experience, right? So science, it is science. I mean, look up on PubMed, uh, a lot of these things or go to the breast implant health summit uh, com resource page, and you'll find the links. What was eye opening to me is that the terms that the manufacturers use they are very creative in their word choice, mm, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. So in the 60s, when the implants were out, it's interesting how they just talked about rupture and silicone, which made saline theoretically safe, right? At least mm-hmm. in word choice, somehow mm-hmm. bleed, diffusion, permeability of the shell got left out of the whole conversation, right? And they made those, that ERA, era of communication to the public about rupture only. And if you look at the court documents and such, you'll see that the companies talk about this gel bleed. All implants have a silicone shell. And that shell under different criteria, different variables, heat, movement. I, we don't know what all those criteria are, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the company knows for sure that things can pass through these this shell. And if they pass through the shell, the good news is your body, most of our bodies, mount an immune response to create mm-hmm. the capsule. Exactly. For some of us, that immune response gets really triggered and becomes what they call a Baker stage mm-hmm. four contracture. And for some of us, we don't have as much shell-making immune response as others. And is that good or bad? I don't know. But if if I'm playing catch, 
I want a catcher's mitt, right? <laughs> that protects my hand versus maybe a thinner catcher's mitt, right? And so mm-hmm. I call the capsule a shell. So if it can diffuse out, hypothetically, things can diffuse in. And if you look at a bunch of the explant pictures, you'll see why is one implant clear and one implant yellow? Why is Mm, one implant all this black stuff floating around in it and one implant, you know, have air bubbles in it? What? You know, Mm. when you start looking at what comes out versus what goes in, it's quite eye-opening, right? So something's happening, (laughs) right? Exactly. And they know this. And so in the manufacturer, they actually talk about what diffuses past. And they state at the time, now all of the data is precedented from maybe even some since the original one that was approved. And when you look back, I'm digressing a little bit, but when you look back, the implants used to be, I think, a class two medical device and didn't need all this uh, investigation to get class three. So on some level they did, it was a class two they get a a graced grandfather in to do some testing. And what it actually showed was that um, it's not that they were safe, but they didn't show they were unsafe. This is just saying, hey, this this is feasible to do, blah, 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 right? To make silicone more congealed, to make it mm, form like in a shell or a cohesive gel, It needs something. And so they bind that with platinum and uh, the cross-linking. This is where we were talking about silicone and platinum cross-link. But sadly, it's not like it's 100% once you put the platinum in, it binds with all the silicone. It leaves the smaller, at least in my interpretation of the data that's out there and peer-reviewed journals, it leaves the smaller silicone molecules free to do whatever they need to do. Mm. And Never is a cross-linking human bond perfect. So that leaves a chance for diffusion and permeability both ways, right? Mm-hmm. And then what does silicone do to the body? What does platinum do to the body? What does bound platinum and silicone do to the body? We're looking at all that. Now, the smaller molecules of silicone in the body, and these are, these are peer-reviewed, uh, you know, articles some are animals, some are bench, some are, you know, in vivo studies. And we're looking at that across the board. So I don't have that finite answer for us. And we know that silicone molecules cause cell death. That's one trajectory. We know that platinum, which is also used in like chemotherapy drugs, right? It's a nice yeah. carrier to get things to where they need to be or to stay where they need to be. And so we're looking into what does that mean for the silicone and platinum bonds, or what does it mean about the silicone that isn't connected to the platinum, right? What we are finding, um, there's a company called Hair Diagnostics with an X at the end, and they do a platinum hair test. And the way they analyze the test, they'll take a strand of hair from the root and they'll go for 90 days and they look at the the amount of platinum that's in the hair. Now the amount of platinum and, and silicone in just the shell is is enough to register in the body somewhere, right? Platinum causes a lot of GI disruption and 
our GI tract, our cell wall there, our lining is just, you know, only a couple of cells thick, right? Mm -hmm. And so that is precious real estate to have being disrupted. Many of people with breast implant illness have GI symptoms, right? Have gut issues, have leaky gut. And have leaky gut that won't go away, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, no matter how hard you try. And then the the silicone and the smaller molecules being shown to cause cell death. So I digressed all over the place. But I think that silicone is a big player. And what I find very interesting in all these explant uh, research studies that are coming out, they'll test for heavy metals, one, probably because it's easier, but nobody's testing for silicone, which is the main ingredient in the influence of the shell, even if they're saline, right? Mm-hmm. So that exactly. led me down a, a, an avenue to be like, what can we find? Is there any way we can see a sign, like an objective sign, a physiological, uh, give me a clue if it's the breast implants, right? Mm-hmm. The hair diagnostic test is great for some, but it doesn't tell you if you have breast implant illness. It just tells you that you have a lot of platinum in you, right? And so more study needs to be done. But that's something to be like, do I explant? Do I not explant? But a lot of my clients are breast cancer survivors. That That's not a good enough test for me, right? So there's something called silicone-induced granuloma within the breast implant capsule, and that's called an abbreviated SIGBIC by Dr. Mm. Eduardo Flori. He's an MD, PhD radiologist in Brazil, and he, using a regular breast MRI, he actually can see it with implants or without implants. But if you're wanting to choose, I'm waiting for physicians in the U.S. to uh, be trained on this modality. And that's been proven to be a more arduous task to get people to say, hey, we see this sign here. I think people don't, radiologists don't want to be the bearer of, Mm. you need to have your breast implants removed because we really don't know that it's the breast implants. But Mm. the silicone-induced granuloma shows they've done histology on it, they've done the research on it, and they show that when you see this sign on an MRI, uh, we've tested it, and that sign that looks this particular way all the time in, in within the implant capsule, that that is silicone. Mm. And and so now we know that there's physiological involvement. And again, this is not rupture. This is just bleed. This happens. Right. And right. we see this in many of the breast implant illness population and the BIAALCL, which is breast implant associated large cell carcinoma, right? So it's mm. a lymphoma. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that with the textured implants that that are often recalled, but still used. We'll get into that in a little bit as well. Yeah. So we now have an objective measure. I would love to do a multi-center clinical trial to be able to quantify this more, better, different. And, you know, clinical trials will take a good five years to to Mm -hmm. get going. Uh, So we now have two ways to say, hey, there's physiological involvement, right? It's not Mm -hmm. just the it can be for some just the structure and the location of disruption. But once you have silicone and then there's other materials the breast implant are made made of, but once any of this is in the body, your body will handle it how it handles it. If you have an autoimmune issue already, 
your immune system is already a bit hyperactive, right? Something, again, for our listeners to think about, and we talked about this before, not everyone gets symptoms, but everyone is impacted. Because if you put a foreign object in your body, your body will respond in one way or another. For some women, they're having a lot of reactivity like you did. You know, everyone is unique, but there's still going to be some kind of response. We know these things are endocrine disruptors. We know that a lot of these women become estrogen dominant and start developing cysts and fibroids. And, you know, you mentioned platinum. There's, of course, other metals that are getting shifted around, things like copper and some of these other ones that we work with. Having something implanted into your body is going to be an environmental trigger. So that is just something to to consider. I love the work that you're doing, Danielle, and the research that you're doing and what more doctors are, are doing like Dr. Flory in Brazil. And we need more of this. We need more studies being done. We need more more help and more action. And that's why this is so important to me because we really want women to understand what's happening. Not sure where to begin your healing journey? Check out my clinically developed self-assessment tool. It's a 50-question yes-no journey designed to help you begin the process of identifying any imbalances you may have. It's totally free, takes five minutes, and could change your life. Go to eat4.life, then click on the free assessment tab under learn to get started today. You know, we're talking a lot about industry and of course, the medical device industry. I mean, don't get me started. For our listeners, if you haven't watched this yet on Netflix, there is a documentary about this. It's called The Bleeding Edge. Uh, It talks about medical devices as a whole. I don't think breast implants are a part of that conversation, but mesh inserts are and other devices. And I think it would be really helpful, you know, just to go and take a look at that. But didn't you also speak in front of the FDA, Danielle? Twice. Yeah. Uh, We had a, a small a small group go and make some declarations and they listened, which was great. And then 2019, I believe we had a, um, it was a plastic surgery implantable device conversation on on breast implants. And, uh, they heard us and they've, they've taken actions. There's, there's so much to say around that. And I can't remember the exact number, but thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of adverse events, Mm. coupled with all the real world complaints, I think there's uh, more eyes on like, okay, not so much what where did we go wrong in getting this approved? But now that it's approved, what what can we do? How do we move forward? Because it's the same complaint as in the 1960s, right? And wow. uh, not only exactly. to the FDA, but I mean, there were lawsuits with Dow Corning and things like that. So I, I still would like to see the FDA let us know what is happening with the failure mm-hmm. to comply. They gave them approval. If you follow these things with a post-market approval study, they all got warnings. They all have not followed through with that's compliance on this. And that's <sighs> not acceptable that's to me. Scary. There should be no leeway on this whatsoever. Absolutely. This is, this is our health here. Mm-hmm. They did not prove safety and they did not give you what you requested to let's make sure. And so now exactly. what? They're still being sold. 
you know, we talked about this too, the implants that get recalled, mm. but yet they're still out there. They're still in doctor's offices. They're still being implanted into women. There's no way to check for that either. There's no structure to, to ensure that people are even safe with recalls. That's really scary. Yeah. Like, oh, my car gets, you know, something wrong with one of its little gadgets inside the, I, I get a plethora of emails and yes. of course they want me to go into the manufacturer to get an upgrade and pay more money. Yeah, yeah. of course. But you know, I'd never even got a plastic card saying what my implantable device is. Now in pacemakers where I've worked for a long time, you get all this package inserts on how to, what you need to do saying, hey, this is what I have inside my body. You don't get that with breast implants. So it's some women don't even know what they have in or some women were told wow. they were going to get smooth silicone and they ended up with textured saline. And and then the symptoms start. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's maddening. What's hard is that there are women out there that are fine or they think they're fine. I think that's the key. They think they're fine. I think often, and this is just what I notice as a practitioner, this is not a judgment. This is not a judgment, I promise. But so many people put up with things that aren't normal because they think it's just part of everyday living or aging or... Yeah. or it, it's, so it's not normal. Being tired, You like I'm 54 yes. now and I have more energy than I, even at 48. So some of the symptoms, like for me, it happened quick. And I do find for whatever real world experience this is, when you have a cohesive gel or a gummy bear or the newer models, people get sicker faster. Wow. Um, I'm glad you said that. That's important. Saline is a different kind of trajectory and onset for a lot of people. The older ones, I tend to see them at 10 or 20 years. Mel... Robbins, uh, she's a she's a inspirational speaker. Yes, yes. And she shared her Instagram story where she had textured, but she didn't know, and somehow she found out, and she was livid that no one let her know for some X time. Like, let's just say it was a <sighs> year. And she she not too long ago explanted, and she was like, holy. Excuse me, but I, I think she said, holy shit. Um, <laughs> I would have been saying a lot more than that. That's for sure. Her energy levels, her requirements for her meds, like ADD meds and some other meds all shifted. And she would never wow. have said, and she was fine before. She would never yeah, have that's said. The thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Look at, there's that timeline again. How were you before? Notice what shifted after you have your surgery. If a doctor or a practitioner tries to gaslight you, you move on and yeah. you keep finding someone that is going to help you and going to support you. We talked a lot about what to look for and, you know, what to be mindful of. But if women have implanted Danielle and they're thinking of explanting, they're noticing that they're having all these autoimmunity symptoms. You know, we talked a lot about how the brain is impacted. Yes. Things like brain fog, OCD, ADHD, all of those things. Um, where could a woman start that is in the place that you were at? six months post-surgery? So a couple of things. If you're going through the the gamut and getting tested and it's all coming back negative and you're fine and you're fine, right? Mm -hmm. 
one, just be like, huh, what else could it be? Could it be my implants? Mm -hmm. Now how I coach people is, okay, so you have this, right? What we weren't before was fully informed. Let's just take everything off the table, like the have-tos or not. Let's be with all the things it could be. And different people have have a different path they may want to take. But now if you come to me with breast implants and you have these vague like autoimmune symptoms, then I'm going to see if you can get uh, insurance to cover your MRI. And I'm, we're going to read that. If you have SIGBIC, that's a physiological sign. Your implants are impacting your physiology. Does that mean that when you remove them, your BII is going to go away? No. It just means I now know of an environmental, an internal environmental impact for a fact this is happening. And as a practitioner, we are remiss when we don't have, we're, we're testing everything else. We now have a way and we can do this, right? Absolutely. And if, if insurance doesn't cover it, the hair diagnostic, if you haven't had a chemotherapy with platinum or something like that, then, then I'll use that. It's 400 euro, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that comes back high platinum and there's no other explanation for you to have that, I have a, a decent assumption that your implants are having a physiological impact. If you don't need those, you don't need to spend your energy there, then um, when in doubt, remove. we do this as functional medicine. Let's remove all your toxic factors. We're yes. changing your water. We're changing your diet to organic, non-GMO, da 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 There's some Mm -hmm. people who have pacemakers. I can't change that, right? There's some people who have mesh. We can change that now, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We can. That can be a whole other conversation, like that pelvic mesh. Oh my gosh! And people feeling better after and. Mm, mm, mm. Watch the bleeding edge on Netflix, please, everyone watch it because there's a woman that had that inserted and I I can't even, it's heartbreaking what happened to her and also her husband and, uh, and their marriage. So, so please watch that documentary with, with all of it. Like, so even with BIALCO, which it's now recognized as a lymphoma and some people will call it a lymphatic issue but not a cancer. It's a cancer. It's a mm-hmm. man-made cancer. And you can exactly. get ALCL by other implantable things. I love when they first find something. It just becomes into your awareness that, oh, immediately I only saw two, so that's got to be rare. No, it's not rare, right? Mm-hmm. Same with BII. And I do think they both begin with a physiological impact, i.e. T-cells, perhaps. And now we can see signs. So you'll see SIGBIC. And I don't know if you have BIALCL or BII, but it's interesting how this does correlate to that, right? Mm-hmm. BIALCL and then BII. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. may actually be whatever that little piece of physiological involvement, that is where it starts. And then how you cascade from there is how your body's set up. Exactly. If you have a methylation issue, if you have that. So back to the original question. I would do the testing because I would need to know. If I knew about that, then I would want to know. And then I have I have confidence going into the surgery versus just maybe this will help, maybe it won't. For BIALCL with a lymphoma, for the most part, explant is the first line of therapy. For BII, explant mm-hmm. is the first line of therapy, right? 
Mm-hmm. BII though now is just a, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. Did it work? Did it not work? And there are plenty of studies that show women feel better. Again, yes. there's the better. I will say better than they did before they explanted. So explant is first line therapy. You can optimize as best you can by checking your nutrient deficiencies. If you have any, supplement them. For me, I find B6 in the P5P form and B1 niacin. Make sure you get that riboflavin in there. And so I would urge whether Western medicine or not, we look at those in magnesium and all the things like functional medicine at least has the testing. The cascade is a little different. If you don't know it's the implants, you don't know to tell them to remove them or consider this, right? And there are women who like myself who felt so sick that surgery and another elective surgery doesn't feel appropriate at this time. Right. So that that's where I would go. And I would be very cautious with, um, I know a lot of the women out there with implants will do sauna because they feel better after. We don't know what that heat impact will be. So mm. that's another big thing where I just say, okay, let's, let's not use that. Or if we do use sauna or you feel like you need to, because that's the only relief you're getting, then let's at least be fully informed and aware, right? Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate, again, Danielle, all the work that you're doing in this area that came out of your own story. It's truly extraordinary. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm just so blessed to have you. Thank you, Sammy, very much. Appreciate the time. Wow, we covered a lot of ground here, but this topic is simply too important to ignore, especially considering how many women have been affected by breast implant illness. My hope and prayer for you, dear listener, is that you feel empowered to know there are options and caring practitioners available to help you. I also encourage you to have compassion for yourself and your journey towards better health and well-being. And if this episode resonates with you, please share it. It is through sharing that we eliminate guilt and shame and bring about healing. You can learn more about Danielle at breastimplanthealthsummit.com. Don't miss an episode of Eat for Life. Be sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player.